Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series Authentic, a study on the book of James. You guys can turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, we're going to be continuing in our series on the book of James called Authentic. Quick recap about the book of James. James is the son of Mary and Joseph, the younger half-brother of Jesus. And he is a fiery close talker. And what he wants from these mid-first century readers, these early Christians, he wants them to have authentic faith in his older brother. He wants them to be doers of the word and not just hearers. He wants them to have a religion that is impure and undefiled. And that's what we want for ourselves. That's what we want for you guys is to have authentic Christian faith, which is why we are in the book of James. And last week, we saw the kind of religion that God wants. Verse 27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what God wants from us as his people, one way he wants us to be doers of the word, is for us to love unimportant people, to care for them. Unimportant, I say, as as the world is concerned. And he wants us to remain unstained by the world. The world's opinions, the world's influence, the world's values. He does not want us to be stained by those things. Now, I want to tell you guys as we get started about the worst stain that I've ever had. Junior year of high school. Landed my first girlfriend. Took me a while, but I did. Believe it or not. And you guys know, I don't know if we've got any high school guys in here, but all the men can at least probably uh, understand this. There's nothing worse in high school than meeting your girlfriend's dad, okay, especially when your girlfriend's dad is six foot five and eats nails for breakfast, which is what this man did. He's the most intimidating man on planet earth. And I've been dating his daughter for a couple of weeks, and I still hadn't met him yet. And so one, one Friday afternoon, I'm over at her house. I take a DiGiorno out of the freezer. It's probably her dad's DiGiorno. And I pop it in the oven. Well, as this DiGiorno is cooking, she's got to go back to school to, uh, to take a test. And so I've got about 10 minutes while, while I'm in her house by myself waiting on this DiGiorno before I take it home. So the oven beeps, and uh, I start walking over to the oven. But as I do, I see this tan Suburban drive up. And it's her dad who eats nails. And so I start panicking out. Uh, panicking. I start thinking, all right, everything that your dad taught you, okay, shake his hand, look him in the eye, all these things. But first, got to get the pizza out of the oven. Well, my wife would tell you I'm not uh, an expert cook. And so I go to the oven, and I don't even put on oven mitts to take the pizza out. So I reach for this pepperoni pizza. It burns me. It slips down my hands smears down my white shirt and all over this man's kitchen. And I just sit there in a panic, and then the door opens. And this guy looks at me, and then he looks at this stain on my white shirt, and he says, 
you must be William. <laughs> it was a terrible first impression. My worst stain ever. And as we come to the text today, as we move from the end of chapter 1, where God wants us to love the unimportant in the world, and he wants us to be unstained by the world, as we come into chapter 2, we're going to see that there is a behavior that stains us. As Christians, there's a behavior that leaves a terrible stain on us as followers of Christ. And so I want to look today at what that stain is and why it leaves such an ugly stain. So I'm going to read the text in its entirety. And let me remind you guys, what an honor we have to sit under the Word of God. What an honor to read God's words to his people. So here we go, starting in 126 all the way through 213. If anyone thinks he is religious and doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, don't murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, in verse 1, we see this behavior, this behavior that leaves a stain that James is talking about. And here's what he says. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Christian brother or sister, don't show partiality. Don't show favoritism. Don't show preference or pay attention to people based on external appearances or worldly values. As followers of the Lord of glory, don't have unfair biases towards some people. An unfair favor toward others. This is inconsistent with the Christian life. It's not how followers of Christ should act. But this is exactly what was happening in the mid-first century. Verses 2 and 3, James gives kind of a hypothetic situation, uh, hypothetical situation of what was going on. And here's what he says. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. Why you say, the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Then you've made distinctions. You've become judges. Here's the idea. 
worship gathering, mid-first century, okay? We got these believers worshiping God, and some guy pulls up in his Mercedes chariot, and he gets out in his designer suit, and he, you can tell by his jewelry that he's just visited Jared, the Galleria of Jewelers, and he walks into the worship gathering. Maybe he's a new convert, maybe he's just a visitor. Then a poor man comes in, and this poor man comes in and tattered clothes, filthy, literally, is what the text says. Probably smells bad. And from from the world's eyes, this guy over here, he's important. He's wealthy. He's successful. And in the world's eyes, this guy over here, he's not important. He's a nobody. But James says what the problem is is that these guys, they're taking on the world's views and the world's values, and they're, they're saying, no, 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 important guy. Hey, designer suit boy, you come sit right up here. Take the best seat in the house. And the poor guy's just an afterthought. Hey, man, I think that in the back corner, maybe, or the windowsill, you can sit over there. These guys, these believers had taken on the values of the world. And it was an ugly, ugly stain for Christians. Because here's the implication. What James says in 127, that as Christians, we should care for the unimportant of the world. And we should remain unstained by the world. When we show partiality, we fail at both. In fact, because we've taken on the values of the world, that's why we show partiality. And you guys, if we're honest with ourselves, this wasn't just a problem in the first century. To some degree, this is a problem for every single one of us. We all struggle with showing partiality. And we, we all show partiality for different reasons, too. I mean, some of us show partiality to successful people because we think maybe we can benefit from them somehow. Or some of us like being around important people because it makes us feel good to associate with them. Others of us may just look down on the lowly because it makes us feel superior. And and lots of us show partiality to people who are like us. We give people like us the benefit of the doubt while people different than us can kind of leave them out to dry. But for Christians, partiality is an ugly, ugly stain. And, And before we talk about why it's such an ugly stain, I want you guys to know that you are looking at a man who is stained by partiality. Totally stained by partiality. And there's so many examples I could use about my partiality stains, but probably the clearest as I was preparing this week came as I reflected back on my time when I was caddying on the PGA Tour. And what, what I loved, I loved to associate with the famous people and the important people. And so if a, a pro asked me to go to dinner and a caddy asked me to go to dinner, nine times out of ten I'd go with a pro because it made me feel good to hang out with him. Other people might have thought I was important. But all the while, I'm neglecting an image bearer, saying this guy's more important than this guy just because of what he does. That's inconsistent for somebody who follows Christ. As you think about your own life and your own heart, where does this stain show up for you? Do you show partiality to people who are 
educated, to people who have status in the community, to people who dress like you do. You show partiality to people who share the same political views or the same views about schooling or parenting. Maybe you do this kind of reverse partiality thing and you condemn the wealthy or successful. We all show partiality in some way or another, and it's an ugly stain for Christians. It's inconsistent for us who follow Jesus. He commands us to love the unimportant and not to be stained by the world. And when we show partiality, we fail in both of these areas. That's what was happening here. Now let's turn our attention and ask, okay, why is partiality such an ugly stain? Why is it such an ugly stain? Let's keep going to verse 4 and find out. When we show partiality, when we give preferences based on externals, worldly values, James says, have you not then made distinctions and become judges with evil thoughts? So here's what he's explaining to his readers. When they show partiality, they make distinctions and they put themselves in the place of a judge. But here's the problem. Unlike a good judge, when we show partiality, we're making judgments based on worldly views, on evil thoughts. But the main point is not even that we're judging wrongly. It's that we're judging at all. James says, listen, believer, it's not your role to judge. Look at what he says in chapter 4, verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Partiality is a form of judgment, and James wants his readers to know that judgment's not their job. It's the Lord's job. It's the first reason why partiality is an ugly stain for us. When we show partiality, we put ourselves in the place of the Lord of glory. When we show partiality, we put ourselves in the place of the Lord of glory. Now, verse 1. James refers to his older brother as the Lord of glory. And here's, here's what he's saying. It's an allusion to the reality that one day, God is going to return to judge the living and the dead. There is a future judgment in world history. Now, lots of people do not like to think about this. Lots of people do not like to acknowledge the reality of God judging his creation. But friend, if you read the whole Bible, there may not be a more dominant thread throughout the whole Bible. It's clear from Genesis to Revelation that one day God will return and he will judge. And at this judgment, again, it's not us who are doing the judging. It's the Lord Jesus himself who will be doing the judging. Peter says it this way in Acts chapter 10. And Jesus commanded us to preach and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. It's Jesus' job to judge, not ours. And when we show partiality, we are assuming a role that belongs to him. Now, how arrogant is that for a Christian? We follow Jesus, but we're going to take his place in judgment? That's an ugly stain, you guys. So if, if you treat people who are the same color as you different than you treat people from another race, or, or if we're nicer and friendlier to an attractive person, than we are to someone who's socially awkward. Or if you give the benefit of the doubt to your boss, 
You're patient with him, but then with the people under you, you're harsh or impatient. You're, you're making distinctions and becoming a judge with evil thoughts. Or if you take on the world's views, that you're only as good as what you've accomplished or as much money as in your bank account or how many followers you have on Twitter or how many likes you had on your last Instagram post. When we buy into those things, you guys, we are becoming judges with evil thoughts. And this is a stain for us who follow the Lord of glory. It's his job to judge, not ours. That's the first reason why partiality is such an ugly stain. Let's look at verses 5 through 7 to see our second reason. Listen, my beloved brothers, James says, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So James gets their attention, and he gives them two reasons, again, why partiality is such a bad stain. But one of these reasons is more applicable and and really specific to these readers. And that comes in verses 6 and 7. He says, it's the rich who oppress you and the rich who drag you into court. They're the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called. Here's, here's, Here's a common practice at the time. The rich would take advantage of the poor. And what they would do is they'd jack up interest rates, and when the poor couldn't come through, they'd take them into court, and they'd use their influence to get the decision they wanted, they'd take the little that the poor had. And so what James is saying here to these guys is, y'all, even from a worldly perspective, it doesn't benefit you to show preference to the rich. But what's more, and what's more applicable to us, is that this wasn't just foolish from a worldly perspective, it's foolish from an eternal perspective. Okay, in James chapter 3, James makes it clear that all human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. Here's what that little doctrine implies for us. Every human being is worthy of honor and dignity and respect. They're an image bearer. But here, James takes it even a step further. And he says in verse 5, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him. And the implied answer is, of course he has. God loves to choose the weak. God loves to choose the lowly. God loves to choose the unimportant. And it's been that way since the beginning. Look at his words in Deuteronomy chapter 10, one of many examples of this in the law. He says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Even from the beginning of the Bible, we see that God is an impartial God who doesn't show favoritism and who meets the needs of the vulnerable. And Jesus affirms the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Generally, it is the lowly and the humble and the contrite and the weak that God loves to show favor to. It is them who he has made the heirs of his own kingdom. Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
God loves to choose the weak. And here is the implication. Here's James's logic. If God has chosen the lowly and the unimportant to be the heirs in his kingdom, and you've dishonored them, you're contradicting God. When we dishonor the one whom God honors, or, or when we honor from a, a worldly perspective somebody who, who necessarily shouldn't be honored, we contradict God's judgments. This is the second reason why partiality is such an ugly saying. When we show partiality, we contradict God's judgments. I told you all my best stain story. I'll tell you one of my best contradiction stories. Freshman year of college basketball for me. I, uh, I wanted to be the leader on our team. wanted to step right in, show everybody who's boss. And, uh, and coach made really clear what he wanted us to do on a specific play. So I come down, and a senior on our team does something different than I thought he should do. And so I stop practice, and I chew this guy out, and I tell him what he should be doing instead. Here's the problem. I was totally wrong. I, I was telling him to do the exact opposite of what coach was telling him to do. And it, as somebody who wanted to carry out the coach's orders, it just made me look foolish. But that's the idea here, you guys. When we show partiality, when we give preference based on externals, based on worldly values, we contradict God. In fact, if you look around the room, as the world's concerned, we're not that impressive of a bunch. We're, listen, hey, and that's okay. I, I don't mean that as a knock. <laughs> I'm just digging a hole, honey. <laughs> Listen, God chooses average Joes to be heirs in the kingdom of God. This has great implications for us. This means if, if we go to the grocery store, the lady checking us out might be rich in the kingdom. She might be an heir. The, the pizza delivery guy comes to your house might be eternally wealthy in the kingdom. Or the guy who mows your lawn, or the guy at school who nobody wants to sit with him. He could be an heir of the kingdom. How dare we overlook him? Why would we dishonor him? Listen, you guys, as followers of the Lord of glory, we've got to take on his opinions. We have to value what and who he values. Otherwise, it's a big stain on our shirt. And let me say this. If you're here this morning and you think, man, as far as the world's concerned, I, I'm really not much. Maybe you're stuck in a dead-end job. Maybe you feel like an average mom that can never get stuff done. Maybe you're never as pretty as the other girls. Maybe you're never as athletic as the other guys. Maybe you feel like your parents just didn't love you like your friend's parents loved them. Friend, be encouraged. God may have chosen you to be rich in faith and an heir of the kingdom. Do not buy the world's opinions. Almighty God has placed eternal value on you. That is very, very good. 
That is so much better than being popular or cool or whatever the world says. And if you're here this morning and you're successful, you're important in the world's eyes, listen to me. Remember, it's only by the grace of God that God has chosen you. Not because you're handsome or successful or wealthy or any other reason. It's the mercy of Almighty God. When we, show con- when we show partiality toward others or even in our own view of ourselves, we contradict God's judgments. That's an ugly stain for believers. Second reason. Let's move on to our third reason. Verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. Okay, James kind of hits pause real quick in this argument of why partiality is so gross. And he says, here's what you need to be doing. Believer, you want to be doing well? Here's what you need to do. You need to fulfill the royal law. You need to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there's no doubt what James is referring to here. Constantly throughout the book of James, he's pointing back to Jesus' teaching in the Gospels. And this is a reference to Luke chapter 10, when a guy comes up to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus says, Well, love God with everything in you, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then this wise guy says, Well, who's my neighbor? And this is when Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And the point of that story is to show that every single person, whether they're rich or they're poor, whether they're white or black, no matter their socioeconomic deal, everyone is your neighbor. And you should love everybody. It's his point. And this is held in contrast with the stain of partiality. I know this sermon is about why partiality is so gross. But I think it's important for us, too, as believers to think, all right, how do we do well? And, and here's a question I had to ask this week. If Jesus wants me to love my neighbor, and everybody is my neighbor, especially the un- unimportant in the world's eyes, who is there in my life that I'm loving and paying attention to strictly because I follow Jesus? Somebody that otherwise I wouldn't be loving them or caring for them. How would you answer that question? Who, who is there in your life that you love just because you're a follower of Christ. Maybe something needs to change for some of us. It could be serving with one of those ministries that were out there last week. It could be sponsoring a just poor, hungry kid halfway across the world. It could be sponsoring a missionary who is going into spiritually poor places and trying to make an eternal difference. It might be something as simple as just acknowledging that person at work that nobody else acknowledges. Or it could be something huge like fostering or adopting a child. Whatever it is, though, God wants us to be people who love our neighbors, especially our neighbors that the world doesn't have time for. Okay, but in 9 through 11, he goes back to partiality. And so now he kind of holds up love for neighbor as a contrast to the stain of partiality. Here's what he says in 9 through 11. If you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Forever keeps the whole law but fails at one point and has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do, do not commit adultery but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So if by loving people as ourselves, we're fulfilling the royal law. 
then when we show partiality, we break the royal law. If by loving people as ourselves, we're doing well, then by showing partiality, we are committing sin and offending God, and we are convicted by the royal law as transgressors. This is the last reason why partiality is such an ugly stain for somebody who follows Christ. When we show partiality, we break God's law. When we show partiality, we break God's law. And you guys, we have a very big problem today. So few of us think it's a big deal to break God's law. So many of us do not think it's a big deal to sin against God. We feel like we are entitled to the love and forgiveness of God. We feel like we are doing Almighty God a favor by following Him. You guys, we are talking about the holy God of the universe who is no respecter of persons. The one who made all things, perfectly set his right standard, and we flip it. Sin is a huge deal. Breaking God's law is a huge deal. In fact, it's such a big deal. Look how he explains it in verse, in verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Somebody, sin is such a big deal that we could go our entire life never sin. And then at the very end, one little hiccup. And God says, that person's accountable for the whole law. And here's the reason why. It's the same God who said, don't murder and don't commit adultery. We're, we're not to com compare sins. This sin is worse than that sin. No, both sins are a defiance against the one true God. Both sins are rebellion against him. That's why there's such a lofty penalty. Th think of it this way. My little girl, Julia. I look at her and say, Julia, you cannot hit Eliza. Let's say that she obeys me in that moment. Good job. Okay, good. Doesn't happen often, but sometimes. Okay. Now, a few minutes later, we're sitting at the table. And I say, Julia, Daddy says, do not throw your food. Well, what if she just looks at me and takes her food and throws it? Throwing food is not as bad as hitting your sister. But both are a defiance of your daddy. And friend, there is not a more treasonous, arrogant, haughty sin than defying the one true God. Think of it this way. Let's, let's go back to our white shirt analogy. You're, you're going into a business meeting, okay? And you want to rock this business meeting. Important executives, you go in, and right before you decide to eat a DiGiorno, okay? Not a good idea, okay? Don't have a DiGiorno before you meet your girlfriend's dad or before you go into a business meeting, Okay? That DiGiorno slips out of your hand, down your shirt. Let's equate that big stain to a big sin. Okay, it's obvious you're stained here. Big sins, man, it's obvious. You can't stand before God. Sinner. Got to have a new shirt. I need a brand new white shirt. It's what I need before I go into this meeting. Okay, now think of it this way. Same meeting. Same importance. But you're having coffee before this meeting. And when you're having a sip of your coffee... You spill just a little bit. 
but you get a, a dime-sized stain of coffee right there on your small shirt. That's a smaller, smaller size stain than the pizza stain. But you still need a white shirt, a new white shirt. Even when we commit little sins, it's still an offense against God. It's still defiance of God. And our only hope is a brand new white shirt. So James's point is, listen guys, whether you're committing murder or adultery or partiality, just a little bit of impartiality in your heart, it's a defiance against the one true God. And it's such a lofty offense that death is the only right penalty. You're accountable for the entire law. So when we show partiality to popular people or to clean-cut people or to talented people or if you show partiality to tattooed people or to ears-pierced people or to whoever, that's an ugly stain for a Christ follower. So that's the last reason why we shouldn't show partiality. So here are three reasons. When we show partiality, we put ourselves in the place of the Lord of glory. When we show partiality, we contradict God's judgments. And we show partiality, we break God's law. We know partiality is bad, okay? It's clear from this passage. But instead of just leaving thinking, okay, partiality is bad, let's do something. All right, so, so what? What does James want us to do? He tells us in verses 12 and 13. Here's what he says. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He's saying, speak and act. Talk and live like you're going to be judged under the law of liberty. Now, what, is this, what does this mean? Because to this point, here's what it sounds like. One day, there's a judgment coming. Every single one of us is going to stand before that judgment. In my life, I've contradicted God's judgments by how, I, how I've lived, and I've broken, God, broken God's law. And, and the Bible makes clear that the penalty for this law-breaking is death. That's justice. That's right. So what is James talking about when he says, I'm going to be judged under the law of liberty, and you're going to be judged in that future judgment under the law of liberty? That's the question we have to answer. And here's what he means. And you guys, this is the best news in world history. There has never been better news. This is awesome, awesome, awesome news. And so listen, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm asking you really to tune in right now. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I'm asking you to tune in right now. Because this is the best news ever. This is what it means to be judged under the law of liberty. As people who hold the faith in the Lord of glory, as followers of Jesus, when we put our faith in him, here's what we're saying. Jesus, I'm going to identify with you in, in life and in death. I'm going to take your obedience in life and in death instead of mine. So, Apart from the law of liberty, every single one of us is guilty. Every single one of us is guilty with nowhere to look. We've been totally partial. I mean, just this one little thing. Lots of us have done lots worse things than be partial. But this is enough to condemn us to hell. And so we, we before God, apart from the law of liberty, are totally guilty. But here's what, what God says. There, there's one who's not guilty. There's, there's one who is never partial. There's one who perfectly obeyed my law, perfectly kept every command. And if you hold the faith in him, then one day in the future, he'll judge you based on his obedience, not yours. Now, friend, 
How do you think Jesus' obedience measures up before judgment? Pretty good? Perfect. That's what will be credited to your account. But you might think, well, doesn't, doesn't my sin deserve death? I mean, isn't there a penalty owed? Is his life really enough? No, his life's not enough. And there is a death that is owed. It's what justice demands. But you guys, the one who will one day judge us, he left the throne to become the Savior. And so 2,000 years ago, on a Roman cross, this was not just men killing another man. This was God the Father punishing God the Son for my sin, for my partiality, and for yours. And, and so one day in the future judgment, when we stand before Jesus, to whom we will give an account, we'll say, you're my Savior. Judge me based on your performance, not mine. And when he does that, you know what you'll hear? Well done. You're innocent. You're free. Friend, if Jesus would have shown partiality, we would be eternally unimportant. Because here's the reality. We were orphans. We didn't have God as Father. We were widows. We didn't have Christ as husband. Spiritually, we were poor. We were bankrupt. We were guilty, lawbreakers. We were stained. But under the law of liberty, Jesus makes us who are poor rich. He makes us who are guilty innocent. He makes us who are stained clean. He gives us brand new white shirts. He makes us who are orphans, children of God, and us who are widows, bride of Christ. And James is saying, you need to speak like that and you need to act like that. Act like that's true. Act like that's the judgment you're going to get. When you come across other important people, act like you've been treated that way. This is our so what. So what? We should speak and we should act. We should treat others like Jesus has treated us. That's our duty as Christians, as followers of Christ. Jesus loved us, <laughs> man, in a desperate state. He loved us to death. As Christians, we need to imitate him. We need to honor the unimportant. We need to show mercy, to extend mercy, this mercy that triumphs over judgment. And when we do, there's, there's a guarantee that one day mercy's coming. And again, if you're here and you've never received this mercy, you've never said, my sin is a legitimate problem, and I need to do my best to turn from it. But, but I know that on my own, I'm, I'm nothing, and so I'm putting my hope and my faith in Jesus, in his life and in his death for me, and that he rose again to leave sin and death in the grave. I beg that you would put, put your faith in him. Because if you don't, my friend, there's a judgment coming. And God will not be merciful to all, only those who put faith in his son. As Christians, we need to be loving and merciful to the rich or to the poor or to the black or to the white or to the successful or to the struggling or to the cool or to the uncool. We need to imitate our Savior. Partiality is a stain for us. 
but one day we're going to be judged under the law of liberty. And we need to act like it.